This CosmicReality.com presentation is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com. Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, and on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw. Today is the 23rd of April 2022, and the title of today's show is Update on Venom Theory, Durham Filings, and Food Shortages. So, as I said on Wednesday, um, I started to cover the update that was done with Dr. Brian Ardis and Mike Adams about the interview, original interview that Mike Adams had done with, with Dr. Ardis about his theory that there is snake venom in the so-called vaccines and also that... COVID-19 is actually the result of snake venom and there's been a lot of pushback. I've covered some of it in previous shows and I can mention something else that's come out uh, today. Um, interestingly, right at the end of this um, update show, Mike Adams actually said that this was put out before part three, which I hadn't picked up on actually. So um, you already had part three covered on Wednesday. So this is the update, but before that part three was released. So I'm just going to cover that to begin with. Um, I've got a lot of notes. Again, I might be rustling paper to cover them, but um, I hope you find it useful. So Mike Adams has actually sent a request for interview to Gilead, who are makers of Remdesivir. And in the earlier interviews, uh, Dr. Ardis covered how the side effects of remdesivir are almost exactly the same as the, side, the effects of snake venom. And we know that, again, it was pushed through as a Dr. Fauci emergency use authorization, despite the um, knowing that this drug can cause multiple organ failure which is again something caused by snake venom as well so it's another bioweapon in effect to kill people off in the hospitals given especially given that these hospitals are given huge financial incentives not only to use certain drugs but also when a patient that is labelled COVID-19, dies. And if that doesn't support the theory of uh, mass genocide and population reduction, I don't know what does. So Dr. Ardis announced um, 
with his permission that the doctor who sent him the text asking if he would get anti-venom if he was snake bit is none other than Richard Bartlett, which this is an amazing not coincidence thing because he's the author of two books that I'm currently reading. One is Matrix Energetics and the second one is The Physics of Miracles and it's all to do with uh, quantum physics and how to manifest um medical miracles healing miracles all sorts of they're fascinating books actually but i just thought it was really strange that it should turn out to be that doctor that uh, sent the text to dr ardis to start this whole research project of his off um because what he discovered is that um anti-venom is made up of monoclonal antibodies and polyclonal antibodies. And this kind of started him on this quest to look into the the use of those against snake bite and how they've been used in treating COVID-19 patients. And it took him down this great long deep rabbit hole in which he has discovered all these links. And, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, no, that couldn't possibly be true. But I'll give my comments on that a little later. So anyway, yes, I was <laughs> I was amazed to, to discover that I'm actually reading books by the doctor who um, turned him on to this. Okay. So the University of Arizona study relating to blood samples of COVID-19 in two different hospitals, um, hundreds of blood samples from people who received remdesivir, the only antiviral being used for COVID-19 patients, every single one they said had high elevations of this phospholipase A2 that is found in snake venom, uh, rattlesnake venom or viper snake venoms. Is there a connection between Gilead and the Indian Cobra study published in 2020? Genentech funded the study and Genentech acquired some of the Gilead facilities. I think it was 10 years earlier, not too sure about that. Um, do question is, do they have Cobra venom or snake venom in their product? So Mike Adams was saying that his lab is ISO approved and inspected. And he was talking about time of flight mass spec instrument. Um, and the time of flight system has an amino acid or a protein deconvolution algorithm that can handle the very large molecules, which is what snake venom typically is. That instrument, and I don't understand some of these technicalities, um, can handle up to 20,000 Daltons. So would Gilead Sciences send a sample to a lab run by the health ranger? If they would, he would do it honestly. He's not going to fabricate anything. We would, In other words, he's going to analyse the content of remdesivir we would then be able to see the molecular mass of what's in there. So if if he was able to get hold of a sample of remdesivir and do a full analysis on it, then that would add a lot of um, actual evidence 
either for or against this theory of snake venom. Venom peptides from snakes, snails, can be and have been synthetically created in mass quantities since 1989. So these peptides, these weapons, could be made synthetically in factories and dumped anywhere or used in drugs. Genentech created and funded a study isolating all of the 19 venom-specific toxins in King Cobra Venom. It was published in January 2020. Then Genentech declared a conflict of interest with a company called Roche. And he said that they own stock in, but actually, um, as he's reported earlier, um, Genentech is a subsidiary of Roche. Genentech have multiple patented cancer therapy drugs derived from snake venom components. Genentech bought facilities from Gilead, who makes remdesivir, as I said. So um, this is obviously picking out some of the things that were covered in the in-depth interview. So if you haven't listened to those, um, I suggest you go back through the archives or on the podcast channel where you can listen to the recordings of those earlier shows that um, do go into a great deal of detail. They are finding snake venom peptides in people treated with remdesivir. Mike Adams says the history of medicine is biomimicry and over the years we've seen many articles talking about aquatic toxins from conefish and stingrays and snails Venom is very common through the natural world and causes a variety of conditions. And as we've covered earlier, you know, you, some snake venoms cause blood clotting. Some snake venoms are anticoagulant. They stop blood from clotting, which causes internal bleeding. Using venom in drugs has been going on for years. So... My comment here is we know that COVID-19 vaccines are bioweapons. Even doctors, very skilled doctors that don't toe the party line, as it were, but, you know, really understand what this is doing to people. And attorney Thomas Renz, who actually... Um, highlighted the number of deaths, excess deaths in the military since these vaccines have been um, injected. He also says that they are bioweapons. So if the deep state is injecting people, in some cases forcibly via mandates, with a product that they know is harmful to the point of knowingly killing people, is it too far-fetched to think they would use venom as a bioweapon? Um, Dr. Ardis said Karen Kingston, and this is where he's talking about how he's asked people out there in the scientific community or um, researchers, you know, to bring to him information that can perhaps fill the gaps and, and challenge the naysayers to actually add additional evidence to this, that this theory could be correct. And he said, Karen Kingston, don't know who that is, found SPLA2 enzyme is in every COVID-19 vaccine. And 
he references the University of Arizona study. Again, I covered it on another, a previous show, which the article said it's like venom coursing through their veins, referring to COVID-19. And this um, SPLA2 enzyme is found in venom. And he mentioned somebody called James from AMD Media had received texts from a woman who said she'd solved the riddle of why children weren't as susceptible to COVID-19 if it is such a dangerous pathogen. And that's a question that, you know, I've had and I'm sure a lot of you listening have had about, you know, why is it that this um, COVID-19 pathogen or whatever doesn't have the same effect on children they seem to be um, much more resistant to it so she comes up with the answer having seen Dr Ardis's interviews she investigated snake venom and what in children that is not present present in adults that could be protecting them the answer is children have much higher levels of melatonin than adults and that the hormone melatonin is an inhibitor of many components of snake venom. That's why doctors were seeing the benefits of melatonin and couldn't figure out why. And the, it, this is obviously in the treatment of COVID-19. Mike Adams said um, he interviewed Andreas Kalker, who is an expert in chlorine dioxide solutions, which is different from MMS. He has a patent on treating cobra venom with chlorine dioxide solution. It breaks apart the components of the snake venom molecule, rendering it no longer venomous. You can treat city water with chlorine dioxide. Chlorine dioxide solution is injected into snake bite wounds to detoxify the venom. So it's, you know, used... I wouldn't say widely, but it is used in um, treating people who have been uh, snake bit or snake bitten. And he was saying you can treat city water with chlorine dioxide. You know, if this theory that that's how this uh, venom is spread through the water, then that would be the antidote, which you can just put in a glass of water or whatever. Um Venom is the greatest bioweapon in the world. And as I said a few minutes ago, you know, I wouldn't put anything past the deep state because we know they want to depopulate the planet. Dr. Ardis said it's because of his work on envenomation that is linked to COVID-19 that he is number one on the hit list, as Dr. Zev Zelenko told him. Mike Adams said, you're safer now that the info is out and you're crowdsourcing further research and investigation. Dr. Ardis, despite claims that have been made by certain journalists, is not peddling solutions other than already having certain um, supplements on his website like vitamin C and NAC. He's been accused of doing this for money, whereas, as he said, you know, this is a, a huge expense to him to be going into this level of research, traveling around the country and, uh, you know, to get this information out.
So just to give a balanced view on this, I'm going to read uh, an article by Epoch Times in response to this. It was published on the 20th. Watch the water right on remdesivir, but snake venom theory is a stretch. While it's true there is some overlap between the effects of poisonous peptides present in some snake venom and those of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, claiming COVID is ultimately derived from snake venom is a poorly substantiated hypothesis. In an interview Monday with Stu Peters, Brian Ardis, a doctor of chiropractic, attempted to connect SARS-CoV-2 the spike protein, or simply the disease process itself, known as COVID-19, to the deadly proteins in snake venom. In the 30 minutes, which is not true, actually it was nearly an hour, heavily produced video, Ardis did not explicitly state his opinion on whether COVID is caused by a virus or by widely dispersed toxins similar to the poisons in snake bites. Steve Kirsch, Executive Director of the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, took issue with some of Ardis's statements. I've actually covered this in a previous show. We agree there is evidence that the virus is similar to snake venom, Kirsch wrote on Substack. But as for the other assertions, such as it's a poison spread through the water, I'm not buying it. Now, Dr. Ardis did cover this in the update um, the beginning of which I covered uh, on Wednesday's show, saying that this this was never meant to be the focus. This um, you know theory that the snake venom was being distributed in the water. He was suspicious of it because of the uh, CDC testing of the wastewater to supposedly predict the next outbreak, and he's still asking the question. If they know that this COVID-19 factor is in the water, are they actually filtering it out in the water treatment plants? We don't know. That question has not been answered. It, it's not referred to at all on the CDC website. So if the COVID-19 elements found in the water have the same properties as the snake venom, that would theoretically... Um, prove his theory but as he said he was not um, focusing on that specifically his intention if this theory is right is to actually give um, medical practitioners the tools the the weapons to counter the bioweapon in other words if they use the same medications that are used against venom and again, snake bite, they could well see a huge leap in the number of uh, recoveries from this. And in the earlier interviews, he actually goes through the, the different drugs that have been blocked by the CDC and the FDA and the WHO to a degree from being used to treat COVID-19 patients like hydroxychloroquine, like ivermectin, like NAC um, and other things, you know, chlorine dioxide I've just mentioned, that was what caused um, people to accuse Trump of telling people to drink bleach, which of course was patently untrue. I think he was referring to MMS rather than CDS, but 
whatever, they accused him of um, telling people to drink bleach, which is ridiculous. So, um, so continuing with this um, article, in a Substack post, Dr. Merrill Nass also disagreed with Ardis, writing, many statements in the Brian Ardis video are accurate, but some are definitely not. Nass, an internist and member of the Children's Health Defence Scientific Advisory Committee, reminded us that Ardis is correctly pointing out that remdesivir is a dangerous drug that has undoubtedly caused or contributed to many COVID deaths. As early as November 2020, the World Health Organization recommended against the use of remdesivir, regardless of disease severity, because there was no evidence the drug improved outcomes. Although the expensive drug was widely reported to be ineffective, its harmful effects were downplayed by mainstream sources. Nevertheless, remdesivir enjoys unwavering support from our medical authorities. That's only because they're being paid a huge subsidy to um, treat COVID-19 patients with it um, and remains the only antiviral remedy available in most hospital formula is for the treatment of covid this is where i really get annoyed with epoch times because in so many articles they end up spouting you know the agenda oh well it's got great support so it must be okay that is total bs so anyway i'll continue with this there are some negative comments about this as well in the comments i'll i'll cover one or two of those at the end in the interview with Peters, Ardis pointed out a concerning statement on the remdesivir label. Risk of reduced antiviral activity when co-administered with chloroquine phosphate or hydroxychloroquine sulfate. Co-administration of remdesivir v. Vecluri, which is the brand name, and chloroquine phosphate or hydroxychloroquine sulfate is not recommended based on cell culture data demonstrating an antagonistic effect of chloroquine on the intracellular metabolic activation and antiviral activity of Vecluri. According to NAS, this may be another reason the system does not want patients to receive chloroquine drugs because their use will be a contraindication for use of remdesivir. And then there's a screenshot of a tweet by Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which actually links to an article by scientist James Lyons Weller, or Weiler, PhD, who um, has written an article which is on the um, Children's Health Defense website, The Defender, and I'll go through that article next. So... It, the article goes on to say, so what about those snakes? Venom from poisonous snakes, such as the cobra and crate, exert their devastating and immediate effects on human physiology by attacking our central and peripheral nervous system and or our ability to form blood clots. Antidotes to venom are mono or polyclonal antibodies that target specific proteins delivered through a snake bite. Ardis used this connection with monoclonal antibodies to argue that because monoclonal antibodies are an effective treatment for COVID and snake venom, COVID, whether caused by a beta coronavirus or not, is tied to the toxic agents in poisonous snakes. Ardis told Stewart monoclonal antibodies are anti-venom. 
However, this statement is not entirely correct. Monoclonal antibodies are specific synthesized proteins that combine to one of a myriad of different targets, including active proteins in snake venom. Antivenom is a monoclonal antibody. Not all monoclonal antibodies are antivenom. My interpretation of that is that this was what sparked his idea about uh, antivenom and uh, venom in COVID-19 and in the vaccines. I, I don't think he was actually saying that the monoclonal antibodies used for antivenom are the same as the ones being used for COVID-19. I don't know that he said that explicitly, but it's like everything. You know, we get the these inspired ideas that are triggered by certain things. And this is basically what he's saying happened when he got this text from um, Dr. Bartlett. OK, it goes on. The point here is that many proteins may have common effects on our bodies, but that doesn't necessarily mean they have a common origin. Monoclonal antibodies can neutralize the effects of many different peptides. That doesn't mean the targets of the antibodies are related. Ardis also emphasized that the US Food and Drug Administration, FDA, has been critical of the use of monoclonal antibodies in the treatment of COVID. He made this point in a larger context to allege that our authorities have consistently been blocking effective treatments to prevent recovery. Well, they have. We know that. And if you remember, not that long ago, um, before they stopped the use of monoclonal antibodies, um, Biden was weaponizing it by limiting the number of monoclonal antibody um, solutions or whatever they are were provided to Florida because they didn't like what Ron DeSantis was doing to go against the mandates and everything else. So they do weaponize everything if they have a chance to. Yet since the inception of the pandemic, monoclonal antibodies have been an available mainstay of COVID treatment in the immunocompromised and those at high risk for developing severe disease. Since the rapid emergence of the Omicron variant at the end of 2021, the FDA limited the availability of some monoclonal antibody formulations as it was shown these have a marginal effect against the new strain. Other inaccuracies, and just to say, given the fact that nobody has ever proved that they've isolated this COVID-19 virus, heaven knows how they're able to say, oh, it's a different variant when they don't know what the original one looks like. Other inaccuracies. Ardis accurately stated that snake venom can cause an elevated D-dimer, a nonspecific finding in patients suffering from clotting disorders. But this test is elevated not only in patients who have excessive bleeding, as in the case of snake bite victims, but also in patients who are experiencing increased clotting, deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary emboli, strokes. The latter is more common with severe COVID. Thus, an elevated D-dimer level does not necessarily mean COVID is caused by a snake venom-like process. Well, this is where he's wrong as well, because as Dr. Ardis said, the um, there's a difference between the cobra venom and the crate venom, which he said were the two venoms found in that original study. 
And one of them, and I can't remember which way round it is. I th- I think uh, anyway, I can't remember which one is what which way round it is. But one of the venoms causes blood clotting, and the other one is an anticoagulant. It prevents blood clotting. So you can have the two situations occur in a patient. Um, so this this is uh, he obviously hasn't really gone into depth on what Doctor Ardis is saying. Perhaps the most provocative claim Ardis has made was around the sedation and mechanical ventilation of critical COVID patients, because snake venom paralyzes muscles, including the diaphragm, the muscle most responsible for breathing, by blocking the conduction of signals between nerves and muscles. This, in his view, is more evidence that COVID is a snake venom-like illness. It is true that it was recognised early on that COVID patients had low levels of blood oxygenation, yet appeared to breathe comfortably and regularly. However, this is not representative of nerve paralysis. It is suggestive of a central process, one that involves the brainstem, not diaphragmatic paralysis. Now, here again, Dr. Ardis was saying that it was this nicotinic uh, receptor, I've forgotten the full name, that the venom was attaching to in the brainstem. So he's contradicting himself in this, um, in this article. And a lot of COVID-19 sufferers have said they've had difficulty breathing. You can draw your own conclusions, but I think there are a lot of things that he's saying counter the argument, are actually in support of it. Moreover, our natural drive to breathe is much more dependent on high levels of carbon dioxide in our blood, not low levels of oxygen. Not sure about that. Nevertheless, Ardis accused the medical system of intentionally causing the death of COVID patients by further reducing respiratory drive by using sedative agents like benzodiazepines, narcotics and other drugs required to place patients on breathing machines, ventilators. He is correct that these drugs are necessary to allow a person to tolerate the placement of a breathing tube in the trachea for prolonged and brief periods. However, once a person is connected to a ventilator, the machine will substitute for the person's lack of respiratory drive. Now, this hasn't come up in in these um, interviews, but we've had doctors from way back at the beginning or early stages of this so-called pandemic saying that when you put a patient on a ventilator, the normal processes close down. And that's why there are so many deaths of people who have been put on ventilators because the natural um, ability to breathe, it, it's, it's shut itself down. And this is what happens when, when people die from natural causes. Their organ systems start to, to close down. I know this was um, told to me when I was with my mother when she was dying and she died later the same day. So, again, I would challenge a lot in this article. 
Summary. Although there is some overlap between the effects of poisonous peptides present in some snake venom and those of SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, claiming COVID is ultimately derived from snake venom is a poorly substantiated hypothesis. That said, Ardis's description of the toxic nature of remdesivir is worthy of note and should not be dismissed. And um, I have to make a quick apology here uh, to Epoch Times, although what I said about them generally, I stand by. This was actually originally published on Children's Health Defence. And let's just go through some of these comments. Um, the authors of these articles start with their take of Dr. Ardis's hypothesis did not follow what he stated. These articles are both misrepresentations of what he spoke. I'm very disappointed that these articles misrepresented the interview. I suggest people go back and listen to what was actually said because these articles do not represent the truth. Another comment. This article is a joke. Clearly, the author and the doctor in the interview have not done their research. Dr. Ardis correctly stated that the CDC was looking at wastewater to determine if COVID was being found in certain areas. It was on the CDC website. I saw it there too and thought it odd. How could already finding it in wastewater predict a future outbreak? It doesn't make sense. Stu Peters was more convinced they put it in the water to spread COVID and Dr. Ardis didn't discount it as the government has done things before and it will be a great way to spread a pandemic. He also said they know through the patents that snake venom is being used in mRNA technology gain of function. They are using snake venom peptides to splice into the virus. There are many articles in research studies that have been published. There are also patents that are easily found if you look for it. And clearly, neither Dr. Nass or this author bothered to do that. Also, remdesivir is a killer medication. The WHO even notates it is, and yet Dr. Nass says it works when no studies ever prove any effectiveness for COVID or anything else. All credibility is gone for this author and the doctor, who is full of it. Also interesting to note that a military specialist who trained soldiers in mass bioweapon warfare had this information early on and took this same evidence to the FBI who did nothing, not surprisingly, as we know just how corrupt that agency is. And another one. Well, what about the test they did in October in Italy that Dr. Ardis discusses, where they tested the stool, urine and blood of 20 COVID-positive patients and found a total of 36 different peptides from animal venoms, 20 of which were from snakes, 16 of which were from snail venom. They also tested non-positive patients and they did not have these peptides. Dr. Ardis interviewed another person who had this theory before him who has stated that spike protein is from venom. So on to this other article I mentioned, scientist James Lyons Weiler weighs in on snake venom theory. This was from the 14th of April. Scientist James Lyons Weiler, PhD, said at least 10 people asked him about the snake venom proteins in relation to COVID-19. He proposed two possible explanations, one of which he favours over the other. Uh, again, it refers to Dr. Merrill Nass, who said the snake venom stuff is hooey. My analysis says yes, let's move on to more productive pathways. I share two possible explanations for their presence in COVID-19 patients. 
one of which I favour over the other. Snakes were first floated as a potential intermediate host organism by a very early speculative report covered by SIAM in January 2020 that found codon usage bias most similar to snakes of all things. Codon usage bias is determined by the percentage of time specific codons, triplet nucleotides, are used to bring specific amino acids in place in protein sequences. It's suggestive but very, very weak and has not been taken seriously by anyone as sufficient evidence indicating snakes were the intermediate hosts. Bear in mind, as he, as Dr. Ardis said in the very first interview, was that the fact checkers had been out in force relating to any articles that suggested snakes may be the ca- carrier of COVID-19. And as lots of us anon say, you know, whatever they're fact checking, it means it's true or very probably true. In Italy, with 20 COVID-19 samples and 10 control non-COVID-19 patients, five plasma samples from COVID-19 patients and three faecal samples had evidence of proteins of unknown origin detected using a protein assay that led to the finding of animal venom proteins in their blood or faeces. They sequenced the proteins and found multiple types of venoms, including snake venom proteins. That's it. It's a small study. Here's one amino sequence from their study that seems to share similarities across many of the venom types from different animal species. And it's a whole long list of letters, which I won't read out. This polypeptide is only a single match in all of the trees of life. It matches a toxin from Conus polycarius, the cone snail. A common name for the flea-bitten cone is a species of sea snail, a marine gastropod mollusk in the family Conidae, the cone snails and their allies. The distribution of this sea snail is central and western Pacific, Polynesia, Cocos, Keeling Island, New Guinea and Australia, Northern Territory, Queensland and Western Australia. So the study found venom proteins in patients in Italy from animals other than snakes and those in snakes and the sequences of these venoms are all pretty similar to each other. The match is 100% and extends over the full length of the sequence. Pretty good match, I'd say. But that's because it's a match to itself. This protein does not match any SARS-CoV-2 proteins. Neither do any of the other venom proteins. And I go back to what I said, that they've never isolated the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So how can they say that? The study actually has no evidence and makes no claim of these polypeptides being encoded by the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It only reports that the venom proteins were found in SARS-CoV-2 patients, but not controls. Metabolites. Here's a link to a news article about a study that says that metabolites in COVID-19 patients, products of the human body, can be toxic and can be like snake venom. Here's a link to the same story, but from a different source. And here's a link to the study they reference on the human secretory phospholipase A2. Does this mean the human body produces venom in response to SARS-CoV-2 infection? There is no match between the human secretory phospholipase A2 protein. Animal venoms as treatments for autoimmunity. 
Now check this out. Some studies are finding venoms, including snake venoms, can reset the CD4 stroke CD8 imbalance seen in serious cases of COVID-19. Many toxins are multifunctional and have several biological targets which may have no relation to their toxic role. Some toxin-derived peptides are now being used to treat type 2 diabetes, hypertension, neuropathic pain and other medical disorders. Some data confirm the effect of bee venom on preventing COVID-19 and improving it. Some other data ignore the BV effect on prevent that's bee venom effect on preventing COVID-19 and hypothesize that less SARS-CoV-2 infection in beekeepers is due to their less exposure to other people. A low dose of botulinum neurotoxin, B-O-N-T, can reduce the symptoms of COVID-19 and so it could be used in treatment lines. It has demonstrated that the rate of DTP vaccination has an inverse correlation with COVID-19 prevalence. Cobra toxin has an anti-inflammatory effect and also can restore the CD4 stroke CD8 ratio and perform immunoprotective activity against SARS-CoV-2. Tetrodotoxin is an inhibitor of mPro of SARS-CoV-2 and so can affect the virus. Some relevant questions. Number one, five control samples are too few. How many people without COVID-19 have the protein in their blood or faeces? Two, were these patients treating themselves or under the care of doctors for COVID-19 or other autoimmunity with animal venoms? We know that patients with severe COVID-19 most likely already had autoimmunity. It's about 80% in severe COVID-19 with autoimmunity compared to about 8% in mild COVID-19. That's a huge difference in the prevalence of autoimmunity associated with COVID-19 outcomes. My favoured hypothesis is that autoimmune patients in Italy using animal venoms to treat their autoimmunity or to ward off COVID-19 have confused the heck out of scientists who find those venoms or metabolites thereof in their feces and blood. So that is as challengeable in terms of a hypothesis as the claims that Dr. Ardis has made about the reason for those uh, snake venom proteins being present in the samples. Anyway, but it's also possible that we produce proteins in response to SARS-CoV-2 infection that match venom in other species. Unlikely, but I can't rule it out. Here's an article on venom immunotherapy from Brazil with extensive citations of studies of venom proteins to treat autoimmunity. Remember, SARS-CoV-2 was touted as everyone is going to die and the link between prior autoimmunity and serious SARS-CoV-2 is very, very strong. I'd be curious to learn if anyone has any leads on the prevalence of animal venom injections in use to either treat autoimmunity or attempts to treat COVID-19 in Italy. Re, watch the water. If you consume snake venom, well, it's a protein, and knowing what happens to proteins in our stomachs is just an internet search away. I don't have a definitive answer, but I know the venom has to be injected or produced endogenously to be found in the blood or feces of anyone.
what do you think leave a comment well interesting because in that um update article i don't think i mentioned it uh this time um Mike Adams says that there are certain cobras that spit venom into the eyes. And so what he was saying is, if it's the case that snake venom is being put into the water, then that doesn't just mean you are exposed to it by drinking. It's also in the shower water and also potentially in the steam. So um, if you get water in your eyes, who doesn't when they're in the shower? and it, it contains the venom, that could be a way of envenomating people. Just one quick comment right down at the bottom. The evidence is circumstantial, but there is a ton of it, and Dr. Lyons-Weiler only addresses a small amount. Instead of attacking the theory, further research is called for. And as I said earlier, this is what uh, Dr. Ardis is calling for. He's in effect crowdsourcing further research and investigation so you know he is completely open to more information that other more qualified scientists can provide so moving on i'm going to cover now the durham filings and epoch times has been covering it and this article is from april 19th durham filing reveals cia knew in early 2017 that data tying Trump to Russia was fake. As the trial of Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman approaches, special counsel John Durham and Sussman's lawyers are arguing over what evidence can be admitted. As part of those arguments, Durham filed a routine response late on April 15th, detailing why the evidence he's seeking to admit is both relevant and admissible. These back-and-forth filings are common in the weeks leading up to federal trials, but the disclosures made by Durham are anything but routine. The most striking of these disclosures concerns data trails that Sussman and his cohorts, including tech executive one Rodney Joffe, had supposedly uncovered between Trump and the Russian Alpha Bank. It was widely claimed that these tra data trails established a direct communication channel between Trump and the Russian government. Sussman took the data to the FBI in September 2016, hoping to trigger an investigation into Trump and his campaign. The existence of an FBI investigation would then be used by the Clinton campaign as a media kill shot against Trump in the final weeks of the 2016 election. The scheme didn't work as planned and Trump went on to win the election. But this setback didn't put the brakes on an operation that had now turned into an effort to hobble Trump's presidency. In February 2017, after Trump was inaugurated, Sussman took the same data trails to the CIA. CIA knew early on that Sussman data fabricated. Durham has now disclosed that the CIA immediately knew that both data trails were fake, finding that they were not technically plausible, that they didn't withstand technical scrutiny, that they contained gaps, that they conflicted with themselves, and that they were user-created and not machine or tool-generated. The data provided by Sussman consisted of alleged internet lookups, between the Trump Organization and Alpha Bank, as well as alleged use of a Russian-made Yota phone in Trump's vicinity at Trump Tower, near a Trump interview in Michigan and near the White House after he was elected president. 
The fact that the phone data was highly questionable was obvious from the start. Sussman alleged there were only a dozen such phones in the United States, claiming that they weren't publicly available but were sometimes gifted by Russian government officials. However, that information was false. Yota phones were officially launched in the United States in 2014. And as Durham notes, between 2014 and 2017, there were millions of lookups of Yota phones that originated with US-based internet addresses. The sheer number of Yota phone lookups has led some to speculate that Sussman and other Clinton operatives might have cherry-picked data to make those communications look like something they weren't. In other words, that there was real data, but it was being misrepresented by Sussman. Proof of that allegation would have been bad enough, but Durham has now revealed that the CIA determined that the data was in fact user-created. It was fabricated. This incredible disclosure immediately begs the question, who created the data? It also highlights a larger question. If the CIA knew this data was falsified in February 2017, why did it allow Trump to be hounded throughout his presidency with false claims of Russia collusion? Furthermore, why did special counsel Robert Mueller, who spent $42 million in taxpayer money supposedly investigating Trump-Russia collusion, keep forging ahead with his investigation? The information from the CIA changed everything. Why did Mueller and his team never disclose that the underlying data trail was fake? Nor is that information anywhere in their lengthy two-volume report. Durham's latest filing also contains two CIA reports that pertain to the agency's interactions with Sussman. They detail how Sussman gave data to the CIA after Trump had assumed the presidency. Crucially, what the CIA notes show is that Sussman claimed that the Russian phone activity continued after Trump's move to the White House. These CIA reports contradict the corporate media's narrative that neither Sussman nor Joffe spied on Trump. Not only was Trump spied on, but some form of spying involved the collection and subsequent manipulation of data after he became president. The CIA notes also revealed that the data had been collected since April 2016, which coincides with the start date of Sussman's efforts to tie Trump to Russia on behalf of the Clinton campaign. In another move that signals a shift in Durham's approach, Durham has laid out details of the coordination that took place between Sussman's cyber operation and British ex-spy Christopher Steele's dossier operation that was being run by Fusion GPS. We've known since last year that Sussman and Steele represented two separate prongs of the Clinton campaign's efforts to smear Trump as a Russian stooge, connecting the two prongs. We also know, knew that those two prongs converged in late July 2016, directly in front of the FBI's opening of its investigation into the Trump campaign, when Steele and Sussman met in Washington along with a host of other Clinton campaign operatives. Until now, Durham hadn't connected the two prongs of Clinton's plan, choosing instead to focus on Sussman's alleged crime of lying to the FBI. That has now changed. Durham has told the court that Sussman and Steele were two parts of the same joint venture, a move that inches us closer to possible conspiracy charges being brought by Durham against participants in the scheme. 
connecting Sussman directly to the Clinton campaign's broader efforts to vilify Trump also establishes a motive for Sussman's actions. Specifically, Durham states that Sussman represented and worked for the Clinton campaign in connection with its broader opposition research efforts and that through his coordination with Steele, Fusion, GPS and Joffe, Sussman took steps to integrate the Alpha Bank allegations into those opposition research efforts. Durham also is now focusing on the fact that Sussman personally told Steele about the Alpha Bank data trail at their July 2016 meeting. As we already know, Steele was then tasked with writing a dossier report on the Alpha allegations. Durham also notes that Steele's report on the Alpha Bank allegations was completed only a few days before Sussman brought the allegations to the FBI. Even more astonishingly, Durham points out that the FBI was given Steele's dossier by Fusion GPS on the very same day that Sussman took the Alpha allegations to the FBI. And finally, Durham has announced that there are at least two individuals who have apparently flipped and have been offered immunity. Two individuals offered immunity by Durham. Notably, the first of these individuals who has not been named by Durham is an employee at Fusion GPS, the firm of Clinton campaign contractors who coordinated the efforts to jointly push Steele's and Sussman's allegations into the media. It's not known what the Fusion employee has told Durham, but given the overarching question facing the jury, whether Sussman went to the FBI to push a false narrative or was merely acting as a good Samaritan, it's entirely possible that the Fusion GPS employee will testify that Sussman's efforts were part of a broader scheme to falsely vilify Trump. The second person that's been offered immunity is David Dagon, an IT operative from Georgia Tech. Dagon was part of a small group of IT specialists tasked by Joffe to find data that linked Trump to Russia. Durham previously revealed that this group of IT operatives knew they couldn't manufacture any claims that would fly public scrutiny. These same operatives also admitted in private that the only thing that drove them to do what they were doing was that they just do not like Trump. Durham has now told the court that he gave Dagon immunity as the other IT operatives in the Joffe's group had invoked their right against self-incrimination. Giving Dagon immunity was the only way Durham could obtain otherwise unavailable facts underlying the Clinton campaign scheme to vilify Trump. That both Dagon and a Fusion GPS employee are now cooperating with Durham is significant not only in the Sussman case but for all the Clinton campaign operatives who were involved in the scheme. It's now left to Sussman's lawyers to persuade the trial judge, Obama appointee Christopher Cooper, to throw out all this new evidence as well as Durham's proposed witnesses. They may try to argue that the conspiracy, even if it existed, is not relevant to what Sussman has been charged with, namely lying to the FBI. Durham has already indicated that if this were to happen, he would object on the grounds that the existence of a conspiracy is compelling evidence of Sussman's motive when he lied to the FBI. Ultimately, the judge will decide what evidence will and will not be allowed. The bigger question that looms is whether Durham will, cha will charge anyone with conspiracy. 
He clearly has plenty of evidence, but for reasons not fully understood, he has not used that evidence to date. It may be that he faces significant internal pressure from DOJ officials. It may also be that he's trying to extend the legal clock until after the midterms, knowing that prosecuting the Clinton campaign will require political cover. Or it may simply be that Durham is waiting for more evidence that would allow him to charge top campaign officials. This argument is backed by the fact that the two people who received immunity are too far down the food chain to have known anything about the extent of involvement from top Clinton campaign officials. So I think what we're seeing now is um, Clinton and Obama panicking because they've recently been calling for more censorship by the big tech companies and clamp down on misinformation. What they're really afraid of is this truth coming out about their conspiracy against Trump. So it'd be interesting to see this play out. And the trial actually starts May 16th, so not that long to wait. I wonder if it'll be televised. Of course, they didn't televise Ghislaine Maxwell's trial, so they may make some excuse for not televising this one as well. So a quick cover of my final topic today. Um, this is from We Love Trump. Fires and explosions destroy 20-plus food processing plants moments after Biden warns of food shortages. This was published two days ago, so on the 21st. What are the odds? Just after Joe Biden warned the nation of very real food shortages, multiple food processing plants and food companies were destroyed or damaged. Multiple fires and explosions have been reported at these plants across the nation. But here's the thing. Fires and explosions are rare at food companies. Sure, it happens occasionally. That's what you call an emergency. But what are the odds of multiple emergencies happening just as Biden warns of food shortages? In fact, over 20 food processing plants were shut down due to these issues. Don't believe us? More details below. And he's got a, a bunch of Twitter um, tweets from different people. Um, multiple warehouse storage facilities on fire in U.S., could this all be a plan to add to already increasing food prices and soaring inflation? Hashtag Great Reset. WEF, New World Order, Get Woke. What's with all these food and fertiliser plant fires? It looks like they're destroying our food and agricultural supply. Any information at Fox News, OANN, etc.? Uh, so many fires, ironic how they are all food processing plants of some sort. And it's got a whole series of uh, images from headlines. Asia Standard is the country's largest independent food distributor. Its headquarters facility was destroyed by fire last night, April 19th, that was. Um, over 20 food processing plants shut down due to fire explosions in the last two weeks. A town of 35,000 people were ordered to either evacuate or seek shelter in California. Why? Because a food plant was on fire and local emergency crews were afraid that the fire could cause a massive bomb-like explosion. And the author of the article is also highlighting the fact that the mainstream media are not covering these fires and explosion and he says look whenever there's an apartment fire in a major city like new york city nearly every news network covers it 
because of safety standards and improved safety materials, it's rare for a large fire to happen. So whenever a massive fire happens in a commercial setting, industrial setting, or in a city skyscraper, it's national news. Yet this has happened at over 20 plus food plants and no one in the media except Fox and us are asking this question. Now, I don't have time to cover the rest of this article, but Mike Adams was also highlighting the fact that they've come up with this uh, PCR test evidence of uh, bird flu and are culling uh, chicken flocks. Um, and also there is a shortage of fertilizer. And of course, Biden's blaming it all on Putin. But if you think about it, there's this massive push by people like the WEF and um, Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates to force people into using this artificial meat to, you know, stop all the consumption of natural products, whole foods, and fill us full of toxic chemicals um, with the excuse that we can't have meat because cows create global warming. So anyway, that's the end of today's show, I'm afraid. I've run out of time for anything else. I hope you've enjoyed it and um, you'll join me for another show on Wednesday. I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and also uh, Derek Condit and mysticalwares.com for their sponsorship of Cosmic Reality Radio and for making this possible. So take care, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for a huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Cosmic Reality Radio is sponsored by Mystical Wares Online Store, where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order at mysticalwares.com. <laughs>